The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with Wall Street kicking off a new trading month in the red after doing something for the first time since early 2020. Also, investor attention shifts from earnings to Jay Powell and the Fed, with the central bank set to release its latest policy decision at 2 p.m. Eastern time today. But the Fed, it may be playing second fiddle to the Treasury Department with the department's new borrowing plan due out in the hours ahead of that rate decision. Plus, real estate stocks, they're getting rocked on a landmark ruling out of Missouri. And then later in the show, we have closing arguments in that closely watched criminal trial of former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. It is Wednesday, November the 1st, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we're going to kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock features. Take a look. You can see red across the board. The Dow looks like it would open up about 130 points lower. The S&P and the Nasdaq also lower in the pre-market. This after what was another pretty rough month for stocks with the Dow and the S&P capping off three-month losing streaks. That's their longest since March of 2020. This first day of trading shaping up to be a busy one, and it's not just earnings. We get the Federal Reserve decision at 2 p.m. Eastern time, followed by a J-PAL news conference at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. But the bigger market event, it actually could be at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time when the Treasury Department makes its quarterly refunding announcement outlining how much debt the government will issue over the next two quarters, along with the size and the dates of those auctions. Ahead of that, we're going to check yields right now. As always, we start with the benchmark 10-year, 4.90, ticking up a few basis points from yesterday. The two-year and the 30-year, both above 5% when we're talking yield. Yesterday, the long bond was just a few basis points under a 5% yield. We also want to check the energy market this morning. We're going to start with oil moving higher this morning. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, up almost 1%. Brent crude up just about the same amount. But important to note, well below 90 bucks a barrel. Just a few days ago, we saw it above 90 bucks a barrel, now trading at 85.73. Natural gas, the most volatile, at least in the early hours, down 1.5%. We'll always see a lot more movement in that area. That's the U.S. setup. Let's now see how Asia and Europe are doing after a rough month for stocks overseas. We have our J.P. Ong in Singapore, our Juliana Tattlebombs in our London newsroom. J.P., let's kick things off with you. Good morning to you guys out in New York, Frank. And yes, it was in October to forget. And you call it an offload October, actually, for Asian stocks, which did follow some of the same losses we saw out in Wall Street. Now, it could be a number of reasons, actually, you could look at. The escalation of the conflict between Israel and Hamas that started on October 7, really casting a lot of geopolitical uncertainties. Also, that higher for longer mantra with regards to U.S. rates with the 10-year yields also higher, and thus weighing on equity valuations and arguably spurring some of those outflows that made the South Korean KOSPI actually one of the worst performers in the region 
for the month of October. But I want to focus on two particular uh, 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 reasons and factors that might have weighed on sentiment here in the region for that particular month. And one is that continued worry about a Chinese economic slowdown. We did see exports in China once again contract for the most part, and home prices also looking under pressure as China starts to decide will they or won't they extend stimulus to support the world's second largest economy, which is connected with many of the major economies in the Asia-Pacific region. We have to also remember that this is a time when properties, the property sector saw their woes ex- escalate once again after Country Garden, one of the biggest developers in China, officially defaulted on one of their bonds, once again raising question marks about the health of a sector that comprises about 30 to 40 percent of the world's second largest economy and fed into property stocks and also the overall health and say, um, health sentiment with regards to China's uh, markets and financial system. The other thing to watch out for was just how the Japanese yen moved over the last 40 days. In fact, we saw the Japanese yen tease test and then finally breach 151 against the greenback because of concerns again about that worry about about the rates staying higher for longer and that rate differential between the Bank of Japan and the U.S. Fed. We'll find out more about what the Fed does later on, but we have to remember that the Japanese yen just today found a little bit of breathing room after there was some of their top officials said that they might intervene if they continue to see more one-sided direction and excessive volatility surrounding the Japanese yen. But keep in mind, the yen at that level, once again, volatile, but also casting uncertainty with regards to Japanese markets. Now, that's what happened in the month uh, uh, prior. But in the first day of November, we saw a little bit of reprieve for some of these markets, the Japanese Nikkei 225 taking some strength from that yen weakness. But take a look again at how mixed and muddled greater Chinese markets are because that uncertainty we talked about with regards to the Chinese economy continues to feed into November with no clarity, it seems, inside. Hopefully that clears up in the next couple of weeks. But again, that's going to be a wait and see thing with regards to Chinese markets from Shanghai to Hong Kong. Frank, it's back to you. All right, JP, thank you very much. Our JP Ong, uh, live in Singapore. All right, we're going to turn things over to London and our Juliana Tattlebaum. Juliana, good morning. Frank, good morning. Well, we're kicking things off for the month of November on mixed footing. The stock 600 edging higher this morning as investors digest earnings and brace for that Federal Reserve policy decision. But much like you've seen in Asia and in the U.S., we're coming off of a brutal October. The losses in Europe have been steeper than the losses stateside. You can see here the main benchmarks, the Swiss market underperforming, dropping more than 5%, but pretty steep losses for other markets as well. The CAC 40 in France losing 3.5%, the Zetra DAX losing more more than 4%. A lot of the weakness has come from cyclical sectors. Autos have been some of the worst performing stocks in Europe. Here's a look for you at the individual movers in the month of October. You can see Mercedes-Benz dropping nearly 16%, BMW dropping nearly 10%. The electric vehicle picture has become a lot more difficult in recent months. Of course, you've got Tesla's strategy to gain market share by dropping price, impacting the incumbents. We're also trying to break into this space. At the same time, you've got macro headwinds. Higher interest rates making it more costly for consumers to buy EVs and cars more generally. So a perfect storm for the automakers. The banks have also come under particular selling pressure, and the U.K. banks especially. Here's a picture for you of how the U.K. banks have ended the month. NatWest nearly 25% lower. Barclays nearly 20% lower. Stanchart dropping 17%. The story here in large part down to the margin outlook. It seems as though we've passed that inflection point where higher interest rates translate into uh, higher margins for these banks, and now they're being forced to pass on higher interest rates to savers. And finally, defense stocks are uh, some of the best-performing stocks in the market as the conflict in Israel has boosted demand for these companies on the basis that the expectation is we could see more defense spending in the future. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum live in our London newsroom. 
We're going to turn our attention back to Wall Street. Markets kicking off a new trading month after a rough three months for stocks. That slump, sending investors to record holdings of money market funds now at more than $5.5 trillion. That's according to the Investment Company Institute. Joining me now to discuss, Seema Shah, Chief Strategist at Principal Asset Management. Seema, good morning. It's great to have you here. Good morning. All right, so record uh, amount of cash in money markets right now on the sidelines, not being invested. Do you see that money coming off the sidelines anytime soon? And how does Jay Powell's news conference today, how could it impact that? So I think it's probably a little bit early. Uh, what we're hearing is investors are, they're a little bit uncertain on on what the path is ahead. There is um, so much volatility out there. They've got the geopolitics. You've got a lot of questions around the interest rate path. Um, as well as, of course, the recent increase in bond yields, which everyone is still kind of scratching their heads about what has really been the, the key driver. So until some of that narrative is very clear, I think you're likely to see people staying on the sidelines. But as soon as you have clarity, as soon as we know that the Fed, for example, has finished hiking, um, then I'd expect investors to come right back in. Um, and for the Fed, you know, as I said, it is key. But to be honest, today, I think it's going to be a bit of a non-event. We all know I've that the Fed is very unlikely to, to raise rates today. The focus is going to be on the press conference. What is Jay Powell talk, saying about the recent increase in bond yields um, and you know what they believe to be the driver? All right. So the rate decision may be a non-event. I think the consensus is just a pause. But we have another big event today, the Treasury auction. That's certainly going to be an event. Looking right now, $776 billion in debt being auctioned off. How do you see that impacting both the bond market and also the equity market. Again, yields on bonds also providing a lot of competition for equities. Yeah, it's actually, you know, typically we wouldn't even uh, be talking about this kind of event. But this time, because the the, the last um, release had triggered a lot of concerns about the amount of issuance that the market would have to absorb, that is believed to be one of the key drivers for the increase in yields recently. We've seen that spike. Um, and also that spike is, of course, has been one of the impacts, um, one of the impact on that has been the equity market struggling to digest that increase in yields. So I think it is, you're right to say it is a big event. It's probably probably a little bit more um, important even than what you're going to see from the Fed today. So it is something that we're following. If you were to see a bigger auction size than expected uh, and bond yields were to have another surge higher, then, of course, I think equity markets will be under some pressure. All right. Right now, we're showing the very short end of the curve right now. Look at these yields, the one month, 5.4 percent yield. I want to ask you, when you're advising clients right now, is now the time to get into these short bonds, take advantage of it? Or do you want to lock in the rates for longer, even though the yield's a bit lower? I would say that, you know, there is, of course, a lot of temptation to be on that very front end, as you said, that the yields are very, very high, especially from a historical perspective. But you do have the risk that that will end fairly quickly. If you're locking it in at the longer term rate, that is probably a good idea because if you fast forward to about six months, nine months time, the chances are that yields will have fallen a bit because you're likely to see a bit of an economic downturn forming, maybe not recession, but certainly some kind of slowdown, as well as anticipation of potential rate cuts down the line. And all those things should be pressuring yields lower from a longer end. So we would actually say that maybe this is the time to think about longer duration um, rather than the short duration side. Yeah, but it doesn't really seem like investors are thinking that way. As we mentioned, there's a lot of money just sitting in money market funds. So that has generally a lower yield than those short-term bonds. So in your mind, is there a big difference between being in a money market or a short-term bond? Well, I think there's, there's a couple of differences there, right? The, the reason that people are sitting in, um, in almost in cash and money market funds is because they're not sure about what the outlook is. So there's uncertainty. That, that is the reason that people are sitting in money market funds. Once you have got clarity, then I think there's going to be a rush in 
to um, not just longer duration, uh, but certainly to the broader market. So we're thinking about equity markets. I think there'll be a lot of opportunities there. You think about real estate. So I think it's just a case of what is driving your, your rationale. But to be honest, at this point, it's time to be diversified, be invested, because when that term cut, when that turn comes, it will likely come pretty quickly. Okay. Um, so there's, there's uncertainty now, but it should be cleared up within the next few months. All right, a lot of uncertainty now, according to Seema Shah. Seema, it is always great to see you. Thank you. Thank All right, you. time now for a check with some of this morning's top corporate stories. Always great to see our Silvana Hanal. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good Wednesday morning, but not so good for shares of real estate stocks. We are watching this morning after they got hammered yesterday. Uh, Redfin, Zillow getting hit hard in the pre-market, down 5%, uh, uh, 6.7% for Zillow. And this on a landmark court decision out of Missouri, a jury ruling. The National Association of Realtors and several real estate companies conspired to artificially drive up commissions that sellers, that home sellers paid to buyers' brokers. Now, defendants, including Keller Williams, Berkshire Hathaway-owned Home Services of America, and others say they will appeal the verdict, which calls for $1.7 billion in class action damages. Now, Elon Musk says Tesla is planning to make 200,000 units of its Cybertruck per year once production starts to ramp up with the potential for 250,000 per year by 2025. And speaking on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, Musk admitting that manufacturing the vehicle has been much harder than the initial design. Shares of Tesla are down about 24% since um, its 52-week high hit in July. That's just one sign of what Deutsche Bank calls a global EV meltdown. And closing arguments begin today in the high-profile criminal trial of former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried after the defense rested its case shortly before noon yesterday. Now, this follows two days of cross-examination by the prosecution of Bankman-Fried, who stumbled through questions over past tweets, balance sheets, and text messages. Bankman-Fried faces a potential life sentence if convicted on fraud charges tied to the collapse of crypto exchange FTX and sister hedge fund Alameda Research, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the show. See you later. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, U.K. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak hosts one of the first major global AI safety summits today. We're live on the ground at the historic Bletchley Park. Plus, global ad concerns hit yet another high-flying tech stock. And then later, perhaps a fitting end for the roller coaster saga of WeWork. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The UK kicking off a two-day AI safety summit today with some high-profile world leaders and CEOs in attendance. Our Arjun Kapala joins us now live from the sidelines of this event that's being held at a historic venue. Arjun, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Just to set some of that color, it's here at Bletchley Park, the home of the World War II uh, code break. It's about an hour outside of London. There's some big names expected to be in attendance here, including the U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris, as well as Microsoft and Google executives, and of course, Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk as well, who will be speaking to Prime Minister Rishi Sunak tomorrow. Uh, not going, however, is the French President Emmanuel Macron, as well as uh, U.S. President Joe Biden. But what's on the agenda here is really all around AI safety. The Prime Minister speaking a few days ago saying that human- humanity risks losing control of AI, and that's what they're going to be addressing here, uh, the use or misuse risks associated with AI, some of those risks around losing control of those systems uh, as well. And the aim here is really to try to build global consensus around how to safely develop some of this technology. One point of contention today is the uh, invitation from the UK to China. Uh, And there will be Chinese representation here on the ground from the government and uh, from companies as well. That's controversial, of course, given the tensions that remain between the US and China, but also the UK in the realm of, of technology. Now, ahead of this summit, I had the chance to catch up with Google DeepMind CEO Demis Hassabis and asked him his thoughts uh, about working with China on AI safety. Let's just listen in. I think we have to talk to everyone at this stage. It's still fairly early in the, in the, in the whole AI uh, arc, I would say, age. And, um, you know, I think we're still all trying to understand better what these technologies are uh, going to do and what the limits of them are and what the potential of them is. So I think for now, um, I think we should try and engage with everyone who wants to engage. So this is a part of a broader push here globally to really uh, look at and oversee the development of AI. You had the executive order from the U.S. president just a few days ago, the G7 statement on AI policy. And this is part of a push here by the world to to keep a close eye on this rapidly evolving technology, Frank. So, Arjun, very interesting. You're mentioning some of the world leaders that will attend and will not attend. Again, you said China will be there in attendance. U.K. hosting this. Where do they stand when it comes to AI? Well, I guess when you look across the globe, you look at big U.S. companies like some Microsoft and Amazon, OpenAI. Uh, these are some of the leaders of the world in AI right now. You look over to China, the likes of Tencent, uh, Baidu, Alibaba. Again, China are very strong in the field of AI. But the U.K. are very much a distant third uh, at this point in time. They haven't got some of the giants of the world, but very strong in terms of their universities, in terms of churning out talent that are developing a lot of these systems. Remember, Google DeepMind was a, comp- was a British company that Google bought a few years back uh, as well. So there is a lot of talent there. And I think the UK Prime Minister hoping by holding this summit, by putting the UK on the global map when it comes to thinking forward about regulation, about how to develop AI safely, will we'll draw in that investment, will draw in that talent to the UK's AI scene, Frank. All right, our Arjun Kapal live in Buckinghamshire, UK. Interesting uh, name to say right there. Arjun, great to see you. Great reporting as always. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, Microsoft's former office assistant, Clippy. Clippy may have been about 30 years ahead of its time. Now the tech giant looks to get it right with the official release of the AI-powered Copilot. We will see if it moves the needles for investors and office workers alike. 
Stay with us. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one Eight four four Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. We're going to start with shares of Yum China. They're lower this morning, as you can see, down more than twelve percent. The stock falling after the fast food operator missed on revenues and saw particular weakness at its Pizza Hut brand. Company CFO noting softer consumer demand peaked in late September through October. Again, shares down more than twelve percent. HR and payroll services provider Paycom Software losing more than a quarter of its market value ahead of the open on the heels of some weak fourth quarter revenue and adjusted EPS guidance. The company did not elaborate on its troubles ahead. Shares are already off by 21 percent this year, even before this pre-market move. Again, those shares down 36, almost 37 percent right now. And Match Group in need of some couples therapy. Shares falling despite beating on the top and the bottom lines for its most recent quarter. But some weak Q4 sales guidance that's really weighing on the stock this morning. Executives say the outlook reflects the impact of, quote, weakening macro conditions globally, particularly in advertising, a theme investors in this space they're getting more and more familiar with. Shares of Match Group right now down just about 8%. We're also watching shares of Microsoft this morning. It's AI-powered Office Copilot tool officially going live today, pricing at $30 a month and rivaling AI investments from Google and from Amazon. Our Steve Kovac has more on what that launch means for Microsoft. Today, Microsoft starts selling its most important new product in years, the AI assistant called Copilot. Microsoft now offering that to businesses that subscribe to Microsoft 365 for apps like Outlook, Teams, and Word. It'll cost $30 per user per month. That's on top of the $23 most eligible customers are already paying. The big challenge for Microsoft, proving Copilot can provide enough of a productivity boost to justify that cost. It can do things like giving you notes from a Teams meeting you missed or filtering out the most important messages from your inbox. It can also generate PowerPoint presentations or Word documents to save you time. It's all powered by the same technology as ChatGPT. But while Microsoft has been conservative about its expectations for Copilot sales, the street is full of optimism. Piper Sandler out with a note this week calling Copilot Microsoft's iPhone moment, taking advantage of its lead in generative AI and likening it to Microsoft's early start in cloud computing. And researchers at Forrester last week estimated 6.9 million people will be using Copilot by the end of 2024. That works out to an extra $207 million in sales per month. But the total potential market is much larger. There are well over 300 million paid Microsoft 365 users. It's still early for Microsoft's AI sales push, but it is further ahead than Google and any other potential competitor. Frank? All right, joining me now with much more on this is James Chalkmock, partner at Clockwise Capital. James, good morning. It is great to have you here. Good morning. All right, Microsoft AI Copilot launches today, costs 30 bucks a month. The big question, yeah. at least in the near term, 
Will this live up to the hype? I'm not sure if the initial reports will live up to the hype in the sense that you're going to see staggering subscription numbers coming out of it. I think IT departments, as we've talked to major IT departments around the country, you know, that uh, the uptake is probably going to be slow in the sense that they're going to be testing it, beta testing it and whatnot, and see how it exactly fits in. But we think thereafter, assuming that the product delivers exactly as Microsoft states, we think will snowball uh, incredibly well and uh, and be a major revenue driver uh, for uh, Microsoft over the medium to long term versus the short term. All right. Let's let's talk about that medium to long term. You're saying major revenue driver. Give us a sense. Steve just laid it out. There's about 300 million office users. Office is like ubiquitous. I mean, who doesn't use Excel, PowerPoint, et cetera? What do you mean by a major revenue driver? Does it increase office subscriptions Uh, or is the fact that you think that the majority of these 300 million people, they're going to buy this AI copilot? I think conceivably they they could, uh, you know, assuming it does deliver the productivity benefits uh, that it states. It has to be much more impactful than the experiences that we see on ChatGPT. But kind of the way I think about it is that, you know, Microsoft, uh, as the world has become, tech has become modularized in the sense that ID departments can pick and choose from the different vendors and and, and put them together and and have a suite of services uh, versus Microsoft kind of being the one-stop solution back in the day during its, its antitrust issue era. Um, I think that what it can do is translate um, uh, Microsoft being a discretionary vendor for IT departments to becoming an indispensable part of IT budgets. And I think that uh, if the, the productivity benefits afforded by AI, the, the thing about this is that this is the, AI has been used in applications and business functions for quite some time now. This is nothing new. But this right. is the first time it's it's being applied on the front lines in a in a very very tangible way on your day to day business. So, so by major I mean that you know this can be north of ten percent of revenue over the okay. medium to long term. Well, that certainly is major. That, that's a that's a pretty bold prediction right there. Double digit percentage of Microsoft overall revenue. I want to ask you about this going forward. We we kind of were making some fun earlier. We're saying this is taking Clippy, you know, to the next generation. Um, Mm -hmm. But how do you see this being used in the near term by people? Is this really going to be something that's going to make companies more productive in your mind? You you mentioned the reviews. You're waiting to hear them. So in the near term, right away, how does the average worker, someone just sit in their office, how do you see them using that? And then how does that impact the reviews? Um. I, I think it's it's, it's going to be slow. I think the IT, I mean, what, well, I'm talking about the major IT departments, not right. kind of smaller independent um, shops. Um, you know, I think it's going to be rolled out in, 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 in different functions, in small groups, just to see how it can be applied. I, I don't think that there's a single answer as to right. how, you know, most uh, will utilize the product. I think that it's going to be a learning thing, uh, on bo- both for Microsoft side because you can build the tool, but you're not exactly sure how it's going to be used. And you can have an intent to use the tool and then find new intents of how to use the tool. So, you know, Got I think it. it's going to be learning on both sides. And, and, it, and But that's just going to create a virtuous cycle where it just create, makes the product better and better. Got it. And ultimately, you know, separates them from everybody else. All right. We're just showing a wall all the companies with AI copilots. We'll have to see how it works out from Microsoft, but certainly the competition heating up. James Schockmach, really great to see you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the latest big-name investor sounding the alarm over the U.S. economy and the big bet backing up that very cautious outlook. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. 
It's right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks, they're set to kick off a new month of trading in the red as investors look to the Fed and its latest interest rate decision. U.S. Treasury, also front and center, reportedly set to flood the market with a, with a growing amount of high-yielding debt that's seeing a shrinking pool of buyers. Uh, it is November the 1st, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Yes, it is November the 1st. I'm sure about it. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures on this first trading day of November with the Dow and the S&P coming off three straight months of losses. That's their longest since all the way back in March of 2020, of course, when the pandemic started. Take a look right now. We're seeing red across the board right here. It looks like the Dow would open up about 120 points lower. All right, that's a look at the futures right now. We wanted to shift our attention now from earnings to the Fed and its latest policy decision due out at 2 p.m. Eastern time today with a J-PAL news conference shortly after. Interest rate traders almost certain the central bank will keep rates steady in today's decision. But looking ahead to December and the string of key economic data out between now and then, the jury is still pretty much out. Joining me now is city economist Veronica Clark. Veronica, good morning. So glad to have you here with us. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. All right. So consensus is we're going to see a pause today. I think the questions are, is it a hawkish pause? Is it a dovish pause? And then what about December? What do you see coming ahead? Yeah, not expecting any fireworks in terms of the decision today. It is very likely going to be that rates are unchanged. Um, thinking it could be a, a slightly hawkish pause, though. Um, you know, we have had some data since we we had a shift in Fed rhetoric a couple weeks ago that it was more dovish and led us to think we're not going to get a hike today. Since then, we have had some pretty strong economic data, inflation that you know really doesn't look like it's headed consistently back to two percent just yet. Yeah, we have seen some pretty strong economic data. GDP came in stronger than expected. Um, we've had some, you know, other issues, not issues, but other reports that are probably giving traders some issues. They're kind of worried about the Fed increasing rates. What do you expect to hear from Jay Powell today? I remember when he spoke at the New York Economic Club, he spoke about perhaps rates are doing the Fed's job for them. Then he also said that he still believed that we could see that, quote unquote, soft landing. What do you expect to hear in this news conference today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think we've had this shift in rhetoric talking about the the move in yields and how that's tightening financial conditions. And that does some of the, the work of a rate hike for the Fed. Um, but since that shift, we've had some very strong data and we've had some Fed officials, Powell included, kind of shifting back towards you know, reminding us that ultimately they are data dependent. Um, I think our forecast, you know, the way we see the data playing out, the Fed can stay on hold and we're not penciling in another hike in December. Uh, but it is going to be, I think, very data dependent, especially on the inflation data. Yeah, we kind of talked about this yesterday. PCE, two CPIs before that December decision. You said you're not penciling in a hike in December. Does that mean that we're going to see the Fed stop its rate hiking campaign and we're possibly, possibly on the path <laughs> to cuts? Yeah, this is our, you know, we're, we're thinking we're at the terminal level now already. Um, but that, that chance of a hike is is still on the table. Um, certainly today's meeting, there won't be an updated dot plot. There's not, you know, a, a clear opportunity for the Fed to tell us if they think, you know, further hikes or not. Um, so they will maintain that optionality up until December. And that's a possibility. But base case is that this, we've seen the last hike already. Um, and then we would be looking for cuts as we're getting into next year, but a long, a long way from now. One other question I want to ask you about. We have that Treasury auction today. Normally not much of an event today, a really big event. Um, the reaction we see to that auction, does that actually impact the Fed? Is that something they pay attention to? Yeah, I mean, supply concerns, deficit concerns, I think absolutely has been one factor why we've seen longer end yields moving higher. And 
the Fed has told us that you know reaction to, to longer end yields moving higher is, is why we're not getting potentially another hike. Um, so it definitely does matter that that might be the more exciting event today. All right, Veronica Clark, it is great to see you. Thank you for getting up early and joining us. Have a great day. Mm-hmm. Thanks, you too. All right, we're going to stick with the Fed now in one of the sectors most influenced by its rate decision, housing. Our Diana Olick joins me now with much more. Diana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, the housing market has cooled off dramatically this fall, some calling it frozen even before winter starts. And that's because, of course, of the sharp jump in mortgage rates. The average on the 30-year fix started June at 6.85%. Now it's hovering just below 8%. It did cross over 8% a few weeks ago, and that's hitting affordability hard. There was an unexpected jump in new home listings from July to August, which led to slightly higher inventory last month. But homes are still selling very quickly, keeping the overall inventory low and keeping prices high. We did uh, yesterday get the home price report from Case Shiller, and nationally prices were 2.6 percent higher than August of last year. That's up from the 1 percent increase in July. It is also about 6 percent higher than when prices bottomed at the start of this year. Now, interesting, though, the cities seeing the biggest gains are not the pandemic hot spots, quite the opposite. So Chicago, New York and Detroit led the pack of gainers. Meanwhile, formerly strong markets like Las Vegas, Phoenix and San Francisco are all in the negative price wise year over year. And the regional differences are now much bigger than they have been. And that, of course, has to do with that markets have been historically more affordable are no longer. So suffice it to say, without a break on interest rates, we're going to see a very slow winter for sales and a little relief on and very little relief on prices, Frank. I think everybody's looking for a little bit of relief, Diana, where even if it's only a very little bit right now. So I do want to ask you, though, if the Fed pauses today, that'll be two straight meetings of zero target rate moves. Does that steady mortgage rates? I'm looking right now. I'm seeing 7.88 percent on the 30 year fixed. And if it does, does that bring buyers back into the market? Well, I got a yes and I got a no for you. So, yes, it's going to steady mortgage rates, but it's not going to bring buyers back to the market because steady is not what we need. We need lower in mortgage rates. I mean, if anybody out there can afford to buy a home and wants to, then they will. We're seeing that demand. We're seeing those homes fly off pretty quickly. It's those who can't get into the market because they simply cannot make the math work on the monthly payment at a you know 7.8 or 8 percent rate. They need that rate to come down significantly just to get in. And that's your first time buyers who are really dropping out of the market. So we need rates not steady, but lower. Yeah, I think even new buyers, me, I think everybody needs the rates a bit lower, Diana. Uh, While we have you, I do want to touch on one other story. Uh, Closely watched one this morning in housing. Residential real estate stocks like Zillow, they took a big hit yesterday after a landmark ruling on broker commissions. Can you just explain this whole situation to us? And what does it mean long term for these companies? Yeah, that's right. The National Association of Realtors, along with residential real estate brokerages, Keller Williams and Berkshire Hathaway's Home Services of America, they were slapped with $1.8 billion in damages after a federal jury found them guilty in a major antitrust lawsuit that really could actually change the way homes are bought and sold. Remax and Anywhere had previously settled in the case, but the damages could triple under antitrust rules. Now, the suit claimed a conspiracy to keep broker commissions high by requiring a listing agent compensate a buyer's agent for listing a property on the MLS, and which is the biggest home listing service. Now, that means that the seller has to pay both its agent and the buyer's agent in the end. And this was the first of two such suits. Now, the realtors did put out a statement yesterday saying NAR rules prioritize customers, adding 
this matter is not close to being final as we will appeal the, ju the jury's verdict. And they're also asking the court to reduce the damages. Uh, analyst Jarrett Seberg put out a note. He wrote that he worries this could be a drag on housing if buyers have to start paying commissions to their agents. Because, as we said, you know, first time buyers are already scraping to get into this pricey market. And if they had to pay buyers agent commissions, that would hurt them a lot. Frank. Yeah, a lot to watch there. So, Dana, very quickly, you said the NAR is set to appeal the ruling, but a new case against even more agencies, including Compass, Redfin and Elman. Could that prove to be even more costly? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not over. This was the first. And as I said, they could actually triple that one point eight billion dollars in damages. So you've got a second case coming there. There's a lot of legal work ahead. That's to be sure. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens with the appeals. We'll see what happens down the road. But everybody's saying this isn't going to be over for a while. Diana Olick, live in D.C. Diana, great reporting as always. And great to see you. All right. Time to get a check on some of this morning's other top stories. Silvana Hanau back with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank, I'm back. That's right. So billionaire investor Stan Druckenmiller hopping on the bond market bandwagon amid heightened fears about the state of the economy. Now, speaking with hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones, Druckenmiller says he recently bought massive leverage positions in two-year notes, though, is keeping bearish wagers on long-term bonds. And be sure to catch Druckenmiller on CNBC today at 7 a.m. Eastern. Shares of AMD on a wild ride in the pre-market right now, down a little over 2%. Now, the chip maker beating third quarter earnings estimates, but offering a soft revenue forecast of $6.1 billion compared to the $6.37 billion expected. Still, AMD is expecting to sell $2 billion worth of AI chips next year, saying volume production for the current quarter is on track. And WeWork reportedly planning to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in New Jersey as early as next week. The Wall Street Journal and Reuters say WeWork is currently in an extended grace period with its bondholders over missed interest payments and has just days before a default is triggered. WeWork is now far off its peak valuation of $47 billion, currently sitting just above $120 million, Frank. Interesting. Very yeah. interesting. I mean, just how that's just evolved and it, just yeah. I, I don't even want to use any bad words, but like it right. just happened. It, yes, <laughs> that's, a good one to, that's a good way to put it. Happened. You know, Silvana, sit tight. There's something I want to talk to you about. Let, let's leave Silvana's mic open. So coming up, your morning call sheet in a surefire fright fest for one theme park stock. But first we got. Oh, we're we not doing trending. We killed. Tre I want to ask. Uh, they have the Cheesecake Factory thing on there. Oh, I want to get your God. opinion. All right. All right. Maybe some other time. We'll be right back. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your morning call sheet. We start with Barclays upgrading General Motors to overweight and moving the U.S. auto sector to positive. The firm says cheap is not usually a reason to buy, but at these valuations, it is. Barclays prefers GM over Ford as they move past the UAW strike. Shares of General Motors up one and a half percent. Goldman is downgrading ZoomInfo to neutral and lowering its price target from $30 to $17. Goldman says the move comes after the business software and search engine maker reported mixed third quarter results and soft guidance that could be the sign the rebound in tech hiring is taking a bit longer than expected, suggesting growth will be muted next year. Shares of ZoomInfo down almost 1%. J.P. Morgan initiating coverage on six flags with an underweight rating and a $16 price target. It sees lower visibility on attendance 
at the company's theme parks well into next year and bad weather weighing on current demand. J.P. Morgan estimating one million guests were lost due to weather-related issues so far this year alone. Shares of Six Flags not moving in the pre-market. Time now for your global briefing. We begin with China's manufacturing activity falling into contraction in October, suggesting the economy still faces headwinds despite Beijing's efforts to boost growth. The private Cation Purchasing Managers Index coming in at 49.5, more than a point below analyst forecast. This follows back-to-back months of expansion for the sector. Toyota reporting profit more than doubled in the company's second quarter. The world's top automaker by sales has been helped by the weak yen and strong sales, including in the U.S. and, of course, in its home market of Japan. Shares closing up nearly 5 percent in Tokyo. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris will outline the Biden administration's approach to artificial intelligence in a speech today in London. In her prepared remarks, Harris calls for international cooperation and stricter standards to protect consumers from the risk of A.I., Harris is also attending an AI summit in the UK tomorrow. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. But first, a programming note, join CNBC's Evolve Global Summit virtually tomorrow, where we will gather leaders and innovators from around the world for provocative conversations and to share strategies and tactics that are necessary for adapting, innovating and transforming in this new era of business. You can scan the QR code on your screen to register or visit cnbcevents.com slash evolve. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We start with closing arguments in the high-profile criminal trial of former FTX CEO Sam bankman fried kicking off today after the defense rested its case yesterday. bankman fried faces a potential life sentence if convicted on fraud charges. Shares of Yum China, they're falling double digits following a miss on revenue. The company citing weakness at its Pizza Hut brand, along with softer, softer consumer demand in September and October. Disney launching its ad tier in select markets across Europe and Canada, building on what it calls strong momentum in the U.S. as consumers benefit from more choice, flexibility and value. Paycom losing more than a quarter of its market value and adding to a 21 percent year to date decline. After offering weak revenue and EPS guidance, the company did not elaborate on the gloomy outlook. And shares of ELF moving lower on an analyst warning of a potential sales slowdown against a softer makeup backdrop. Match Group shares also under pressure this morning on weak fourth quarter sales guidance due to an advertising market uh, slowdown, though the company did still beat on both the top and the bottom lines for its most recent quarter. Those shares of the dating app company down more than 6 percent. Here's what to watch today. The October ADP employment report that's out at 815 a.m. Eastern time, followed by the ISM manufacturing index and the September jolts or job openings and labor turnover survey at 10 a.m. We get earnings today from CVS, Qualcomm, Kraft Heinz, Airbnb, Clorox and Roku. Also, the Fed wraps up its two day policy meeting with the decision at 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, Jay Powell's press conference at 2.30 p.m. The big event of the the day, however, it may come hours before that Fed decision. The Treasury Department makes its quarterly refunding announcement. That's at 8.30 a.m., outlining how much debt the government will issue over the next two quarters, along with the size and the dates of those auctions. That announcement and the Treasury auctions are normally routine events, but with bond yields rising, they've taken on much more importance as they offer some insight into how the U.S. manages its mountain of debt. The market's got a preview earlier this week. The Treasury Department saying it will auction $776 billion of debt in the fourth quarter, which was just slightly below expectations. Then another $816 billion in the first quarter. 
Let's talk much more about this now with Mimi Duff, Managing Director and Senior Client Advisor at Gentrust. Mimi, good morning. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. All right, let's talk about that Treasury auction. Um, why is it so important this time around? Can you explain it to the audience? And how do you also seeing it impact the equity market? Yeah, so you sort of did the work for me setting things up. Back in August, I think um, things really came to roost when the Treasury Department announced um, greater funding needs. And in addition to that, they announced that they were increasing the auction sizes for the three-year, 10-year, and 30-year note, which is a lot of duration supply. Those longer-end securities are riskier um, securities in the bond world. So we're going to have a, a repeat of that. The question that we'll be looking for is, are we going to see another increase in those auction uh, numbers, or will the Fed take into account, or sorry, will the Treasury take into account that uh, yields have backed up quite a bit, and maybe they should hold steady. But ultimately, they need to fund that okay. growing supply. So I want to talk to you just about the bond market in general. Are you looking at the bond market for opportunities? Is it the very short end of the curve, or do you want to lock in these higher yields on the long end? Yeah, so we're right now overweight in fixed income. We love the front end. We haven't seen these yields in a very long time, and we're questioning when we should uh, term out. But we'd like to get this. We'd like to get the picture on the supply side first. I want to ask you a bit more about the bond market. So uh, CNBC.com, great article. Uh, we have a look at the duration of bonds right now compared to what they were pre-pandemic. So back in 2019, the duration was longer. It was about 70 months. Now it's just 62 months. How does that shape both, again, the bond market and the equity market, especially with the announcement later today? Yeah, so that's uh, that's that's quite a shortening of the overall amount of debt. I think it, it's important that to note that at higher yields, an individual bond actually exhibits less risk. So now's not the time to be underweight bonds for sure. If you've been underweight, now's a good time to square up. And in terms of where you're positioning across the curve, we do right now like the front end a little bit better than the long end. All right. So, Mimi, you don't do picks, but you did give us some areas and sectors that you're concerned about. I'm going to use concern as a polite word. One of them is real estate. we got some big real estate news today. Right now, how do you see the investability of real estate? So we're, we're primarily worried about the commercial real estate side, just to be clear, because uh, those don't have easy refinance items, options. And we have one and a half trillion debt um, maturing in the next from now till the end of 2025. So um, that's of concern. And we just think it's going to be a longer term drag on the economy with these higher rates um, kind of slowing that segment of the economy. All right. So most of your concerns when it comes to commercial real estate, you're also worried about the consumer. How does that inform your, your thoughts about different sectors? Is there one sector that you see right now you want to stay away from? Yeah, so primarily we're worried about the consumer, again, because savings has, have drawn down. The consumer has been extremely strong for the first part of the year, and that's been the great surprise. Um, but at this point, the savings have drawn down. We have uh, college loan repayments have uh, started. Right. So I think it's, it's more of a factor that these okay. higher rates will be a drag. Mimi Duff, great to see you as always. Thank you very much. And thank you for watching Worldwide Exchange. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. 
Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Ecucinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.